Citizens Investigate, airing live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 FM in New Orleans. And welcome to the Allens Investigate with me, Shona Allen. And I'm Gary Allen, the Cockney Bard. We're broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 FM from New Orleans. Yeah, baby. This week, we'd like to welcome our special guest, Sean Williamson, sculptor, stonemason, technical expert on ancient stone civilizations and writer. Sean has travelled extensively throughout the world, including countries such as Chile and Brazil. He has special links to the late Andrew Sinclair and Roslyn Chapel. And he has a new book out called Questus. Welcome, Sean. Welcome, Sean. Hi, Gary, Shona. Great to be aboard. Nice Hello. to see you. Nice to see you. How are you? Are you weathering the storm okay? Yeah, it's... Uh... It's abated and I've got a signal again. Uh, there was superficial damage and big seas. I live right on the coast here and uh, everything's A-OK, -okay, back up and running, you know. Brilliant. Right. Good it's, stuff. Uh, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, glad to, <laughs> glad to hear that. We didn't have to get a late replacement, so that's no, good. We don't have to shout all the way to Scotland no, now, so that's no, good. No, 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 no. Well, uh, tell us a bit about yourself then, Sean. Yeah, okay, Gary, uh, Sean, it, uh, it's, you know, I started life as a stonemason. Before that, I was a merchant seaman on the Great Lakes, which gave me some great connections to uh, uh, America, North America, shall we say, in Canada. And my heart and soul was always in stone. And after a comprehensive career on the tools, shall we say. I met Andrew Sinclair in London, Chelsea. Yeah. And, you know, I he asked me to help him with books and research. And we went on to investigate Roslyn and various other buildings, stone buildings in the United Kingdom. And also my area of expertise were was Knight Templar tombstones, right. particularly the humble on them. Uh, so, so I worked with Andrew in that capacity, and as a result of that, he, uh, you know, took me under his wing and taught me to write properly, professionally. Right. And I always wanted to do that from from being a young kid, but. It's not an easy way to obviously make a living, no. uh, but we kept that kind of came about in a roundabout way uh, as I was a technical expert working with him on his uh, great advancements of history, shall we say. Right. So that's it in a nutshell. I mean, later on, I went to South America recently over the uh, four years ago. Brazil, South America, investigating ruins, legends of the Knights Templar, which I guess is like a fulcrum for this show to some extent. Yeah. And, of course, 
continued where I am in the north of Scotland with my links to the clan Sinclair when I worked for them as consultant mason. You know, I was right. party to some pretty heavy information, historical stuff, uh, when I worked on the castle there. And although my, my own ancestors were known as the ancient sea kings, yeah. that is to say clan gun, which were both enemies and allies of the Sinclairs. Mm. Yeah, we've, we've seen some of your uh, stonework, uh, Sean. This is fabulous stuff. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, amazing carvings and that. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. I'm obviously equally appreciative of your great work out there as well. And, uh, you know, you follow me, I follow you. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> nice of you to say so. <laughs> Following each other, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Yeah, and um, sorry. Go on, Sean. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, whilst in Scotland, I discovered uh, symbolic evidence of the possibility, or I would say probability, but I'm hesitant, of a connection uh, between the Sinclairs and the Knights Templar, which has, of course, been poo-pooed through history. But more so than that, the idea that the Templars continued, the Knights Templars continued post-dissolution. That is to say they brought another or confirmed another order that was probably existing in some form or other in any case. And through this order, they carried on their exploration of geophysical sites in South America and other places. There's more to them than meets the eye. Okay. I mean, Freddie oh, yeah. Silver will tell you that. And he's a guy that I follow as well. Graham Hancock, uh, Hamilton White, and of course, Carl Cookson. I was on their show, uh, Lost the Relics Lost of the Knights Templar, which was yeah. fabulous. And you know, this whole forum that we've got, this connection of uh, maybe elevated, I don't know, but certainly minds that are searching for true history. You know, I want to I want to be part of that. And yeah. you know, I'm trying to make my mark really writing uh, about some of the findings that I've accomplished, shall we say. Yeah. But it's very difficult to get it out there as a a valid paper because the establishment is very closed and mm. you know, lots of people are coming forward with advances in historical research and scientific research. And, of course, the old guard want to grab onto their system or version of events, oh, uh, you know, like grim death. Yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it, Sean? Because I think with the, the mainstream, there's very much um, a narrative that they're pushing forward. And I think that anything that comes along and starts treading on that, it's kind of, oh, no, you know, you can't do that. Mm. But, you know, if we find things, I think, you know, science, history and everything um, should be far more open-minded because if we find things that start to disprove 
the mainstream narrative, then we have to start investigating it to find the truth, don't we? And that essentially should be what anybody's interested in finding is the truth, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, well put. And that's the <laughs> that's the thing. We're on a, you know, we're part of an avant-garde of people that are testing the boundaries and limits of the world today in many ways, it, to some extent politically, uh, scientifically and historically. And big changes are coming about, you know, and I think it's, I think they call it uh, evolution. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's about time. Is evolution in the wrong way? <laughs> All one yeah. way evolution, and it's not our way, is it? It's not the truth, That's is it? Absolutely. And uh, so many people now are kind of waking up to realities around them. And as a result of that, are bringing forward great treasures of the mind and spirit and of the body as well. I mean, whilst I'm up here in Scotland, for instance, uh, I see a very famous herbalist and I've had a lot of problems with my uh, joints and stuff through heavy work over the years. Mm. And, you know, this guy is setting me straight, believe you me. Today I was actually, you know, carrying bags of shopping out of the car, but actually running, you know. And wow. yeah, can you do more um, shopping as well? <laughs> yeah, we could do with that. <laughs> oh, what kind of herbs are they? <laughs> we need some of those herbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, all sorts, rose hips, uh, you know, different. I, I mean, I'm, I'm on nettle juice, and uh, it's been a couple, a, a grim couple of weeks, to be honest, because uh, whatever joint problems I've had, it's taken a bit for this stuff to kick in. But, mm. you know, today I was like a spring lamb. Yeah, you're Brilliant. looking well on it. Yeah, you're looking, you're looking very well. well. <laughs> you're looking very well on it. <laughs> I know, and I'm, 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 I'm nearly 96. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a wonder drug then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah <laughs> you obviously discovered the fountain of youth, yes. then, Sean. You must share it. You must share it. <laughs> share the secret. <laughs> the, the fountain of youth. Sean Williamson has it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, what's this uh, community arts project about, Sean? Well, you know, a long time ago, well, not so long ago, 2007, one of my big sculptures, which was based on the Rams, uh, on the avenue in Rams in Egypt near the pyramids. Oh, yes. Uh, I brought together, I, I, I set up a project actually under a third sector organisation and we were able to bring in all sorts of, people that had had trouble in their lives one way or the other and we you know I introduced stone carving kind of on the curriculum right. and they loved it and that creative element helped them build themselves back shall we say from some of them had got previous uh, form shall we say and yeah. all that stuff that's going on in the system at the moment but this project was really good. I was really proud that I was able to help people through the active action of carving. 
But the, yeah. the the interesting thing was that through that masonry project, learning to carve stone, learning to be a stone mason, learning to be a stone carver, uh, it kind of set them in the right direction. Yeah. And as the system is in this country, anything that seems to succeed better than what's in place, uh, mm. of course, we were quickly closed down. Well, actually, not that quickly. I carried it on under my own steam for some time. And we ended up, three of us, that's myself and two previous trainees, we went over to the United States and accomplished a 9-11 sculpture initiative. And as a result of that, you know, we had references from various senators and one from the White House as well. Uh, in context to creating a, a firefighter, obviously, mm. after the 9-11 tra tragedy. Mm -hmm. And there was not enough support politically to carry this project on. I managed to keep it under my own steam, moving ahead for one year. Mm. But it, it ran out of momentum in terms of it being uh, a business. But the well, project in total lasted four years and you know mm. some, that's something that I was able to put back into society um, something that benefited other people yeah, as a result of that um, yeah, that's sure. when I talk about evolution I'm saying that you know that's that's what I'm looking at for the future we, we have to enable people we have to enable populations we have to work together yeah. For the yeah. benefit of mankind, not just for we the do. few, yeah. yeah, for sure, three hundred or whatever they are, we for everybody, you know. Exactly, it's evolution of understanding of the mind, Sean. That's where we're at. That's where we're going for people to understand what the mind is all uh, truly all about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, Sean, can I ask you? Uh, in in uh, going back to Egypt, um, have you any sort of thoughts on how the pyramids were actually built? Do you have any idea or? Uh, I mean, I have, I'm actually more of a technical expert in as much as if I, each stone, two-ton stone that they had that was squared up, that's an average weight. There were some, some were smaller, some were bigger, but I know because I know what it's like to square up a block of stone that's, you know, three foot square or whatever. And it's not easy. You have to have two men to lift it every time you dress aside. And it's all labor, labor intensive. How they did that with stones weighing upwards of two tons, nobody's really got to grips with, I have to say. Yeah. The scientists, none of them. They don't even know what tools were used. Absolutely. They say, oh, it's wrong tools. They say it's some, you know, composite or type well, of monsters. No, I mean, we're led to believe, aren't we, that they're sort of copper and stone oh. tools and, you know, that, that carve these really wondrous um, sarcophagi and things like that, which are made of granite. And you think, hmm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yeah, we need to, we need to look, at, look at that again, I think, because, you know, even on the outside, on mainly limestone for the, uh, the substructure of the pyramid itself, it was actually faced with, uh, polished limestone so limestone, that yeah. they would appear to have dined in the sun in the distance. 
Uh, I quite often get to assess forgery. I've done a bit of that in different galleries in Mayfair, and it's incredibly difficult. Uh, but, for instance, many, many antiquities galleries, for instance, are frightened of forgeries or having them discovered, of course, because money, money is king in these, in these environments. And it's uh, that's to the extent just to show you that that kind of expertise is, is not, is not, is not, doesn't come from a, an academic ability. It comes from actually no. being able to read the stone, see tool marks, and actually see shadows of tool marks, even when the, tap, the, the, the tool marks themselves have weathered away. Mm. Um, you know, my objective is to work in the future with some of the modern uh, people that are involved in uh, working out how the pyramids were, were built. For instance, Graham Hancock, as a technical expert. And I, I, be, I believe that from an operative stonemason's point of view, that I can do a lot to add to history in those mm. areas because yeah, of course. You know, the, the guys that taught me at Carlisle, sorry, the, the, the guys that taught me at Carlisle Cathedral have a direct link of heritage to medieval masons. The medieval mm. masons, of course, have a direct link back to the Temple of Solomon. Mm. And of course, that's the that's one of the main drivers, shall we say, in Freemasonry. And, yes. you know, the, and of course, before that, the Templars. And this is the way, this is, this is the area that, or perspective that I'm looking at in my historical research. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I think there is so much to, to learn and to find out. Um, if only people would be more open-minded. I think the general public now is actually more open-minded, but I'm talking more about the um, experts in the field. Um, I know that Graham Hancock, he received a lot of flack recently, didn't he, for you know his sort of uh, propositions and things in on ancient history, and unfairly so, because you have to question in order to find the truth, don't you? Absolutely. And, you know, he's obviously highly intelligent and mm. maybe maybe just for that reason alone, he's a threat to to the state of the affairs, shall we say. But uh, I, I've, read, I've read his books and, of course, it, it's quite, you know, when I met Andrew Sinclair, he's coming in from his perspective, which is, to be honest, two-thirds scholarly. And that's why he brought me in, was to have the technical edge over other uh, people that are involved in these fields. And mm. uh, as, a, as a technician uh, and also as somebody that knows how stone is moved and the, you know, the physical requirements of what they did with the pyramids, if you know that, then it's... What you see with the pyramids is is impossible. You have mm. two two point five million stones on the inner core that were supposed to have been brought, you know, by 
people living off crops and in villages situated around around them. You know, this something doesn't add up. You know, I mean, no, it's to work this out. And yeah. uh, and uh, you know, similarly in South America, you know, why are they finding mercury in tunnels under some of the great Aztec and Mayan temples? It's there's 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 something some missing link that I yeah, think all the humans. So that's what I was going to say. There's just there's so many unanswered questions, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. And you know, we're all we're all evolving. We all have that spirit of wanting to know the truth because mm. the truth will out. It's like yeah. there's a physical thing about the truth. And Gary was talking to me recently about this with some of his work, and you can't stop it coming out. You just can't. No, you can't stop the truth coming out. That's and, right. Know. I mean, if if everything is built on a foundation of lies, then in the end, it's all going to crumble. It'll uh, dissolve, yeah. Exactly, and the truth. I think it was Elvis, actually. He said that truth is like the sun. He said, you know, it can it can be hidden for a while, but, you know. It ain't going away. It ain't going away. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't going away. Uh, can I ask you about uh, Roslyn Chapel? Because we, we know a bit about Roslyn Chapel because... Uh, we got engaged in Roslyn Chapel, so um, wow. it's a it's a beautiful little place, and uh, and we also had some uh, mystical experiences while we were there. Um, it's funny because when I was there, I sensed the energy of some sort of um, a battle going on, so that was quite strange. But uh, up by the what's the the far end, wasn't it? With mm. the what do they call that? Um, by the Apprentice Pillar. Yeah, by the Apprentice Pillar. Yeah, so that was very, very interesting. Yeah, well, I was often at Rosslyn with Andrew, and whilst he was doing his later books, Rosslyn, uh, I, I'd actually met him after he'd written the uh, the Secret Grail book, and. The Sword and the Grail, sorry. Right. And I, my father sent me that book and said, seek this man out. And I did. Yeah. And in a way, he became like a, a father figure to me in as much as yeah. wow. he taught me what he knew. And he taught me about some of the direct history connected to the Sinclairs and Rosslyn. Uh, and we were often inside Rosslyn Chapel investigating the carvings mm. and huge information there that's, uh, you know, documented in stone for some particular reason. And in, in, in my book, Questus, I refer to the fact that Rosslyn was aligned similarly to different, other different edif huge edifices on the planet as though like some other organization or civilization turned up and said, by the way, we need to get coordinates and buildings on these different sites on the on the planet. Mm -hmm. And Rosslyn was, I think, the last of them, which I believe there was a, a, a friend of mine as well, another old school guy called Jeff Nisbet. And his work was incredible because, you know, he pointed out that, encoded in the ceiling of Rosslyn is really uh, the ground plan, shall we say, of the nemesis of the planet in as much as 
once mankind falls away from the grace of God, then because the, world, the earth is a living, functional organism of some description, then what happens is that some kind of a, a, an off switch happens or on switch inside the planet, which creates geophysical hell. Mm. And it starts again. And this, this information is supposed to be encoded in the stonework of Rosslyn. Just like uh, in the retro chapel, we find uh, the lost, the siamatic coordinates of the lost and sacred hymn to John the Baptist, which was an incredible song that worked off the resonance quality of that particular song. So much so that it was taken out by the Roman Catholic Church. But this was an awakening him in um, I'm not a musician I, but it what happened is that it, it awakens something in mankind that elevates their thought process and consciousness and I believe that that's what Roslyn was it was a temple that had been constructed in sacred geometric coordinates that could elevate the human soul to some extent and I believe it was encode. All the carvings are encoded secrets, which William Sinclair was responsible for. He had that information from the Temple of Solomon. Makes perfect sense, you know. And so there was. It was more to more to it all than meets the eye. Andrew was the only person, and I think at the time it was partially illegal when he went and did his excavation under Rosslyn Chapel, he didn't get into the vaults themselves where the, the, the great sacred relics are supposed to be, but he did get onto the outside, I think, to some extent, and found, uh, and that's on one of his films in actual fact, uh, the little wooden grail bowl carved in wood. And we know that it's been, I've had it dated to some extent, not... Uh, carbon dated uh, but experts have told me that it's definitely medieval I yeah. particularly think it's comes it's a, it's a lot older than that and so 2019 when I was down in Chelsea and normally I, I used to go around to his uh, apartment overlooking the Thames and we'd have a few glasses of wine I knew he wasn't very well and he said I've got a present for you Sean and he said he gave me it, you know, he gave me the grail, which I have in safekeeping uh, somewhere. And that was the last time I saw Andrew. So in a way, it was like, here's the baton. You're, yeah, doing, you're carrying on not just your own work, but, you know, you're, you're carrying on mine to some extent as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so incredibly great. blessed in that respect, yeah. Well, it's yeah. funny, Sean, because... Uh, I had a friend who was uh, much, much older than me. He was 30 years older than me. And uh, in a similar vein, he was like, uh, although I had a father, he was like a father figure too, you know, and he was someone I loved dearly, you know. And uh, yeah. he died on my birthday. So, uh, 
Um, oh dear. Yeah, so you know you can never you never forget him. But, but he uh, taught you a lot, though, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He was he was a great man, and um, you know, so I understand where you're coming from with that, and uh, to meet someone, and, and it it's the sort of person that you you meet only once in a lifetime, you know. Yeah, and I think you know, generally speaking, what you've said is good for all people because you know to have that those that system that we had where communities looked after each other mm. and we looked after old people and there was a sense of being able to glean from them wisdom to make our own lives better and you know there was an escalating you know rolling program of 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 a way to get through life all those mechanisms now in the way that we live have been destroyed by ultra-materialistic oh, um, sure. yeah. all that brainwashing stuff that's going on, you know. Well, I mean, the thing is, the thing is, Sean, I mean, I was, I was 33 years of age, and I'm not kidding you, I didn't even know who Shakespeare was. And it was him who introduced me to that, uh, and he read me Sonic 144, Two Loves I Have of Comfort and Despair, and that was the uh, that was the uh, sonnet which um, led me on the path of Shakespeare and other things. So that was an amazing thing for me, amazing experience to get that. And I knew that uh, sonnet one four four wasn't about a gay lover at all. It was about the two sides of the mind, the good and the bad, which we all have. So yeah, that was very interesting. Um, Sean, I want to bring you on to uh, something else interesting. Um, about uh, Ghislaine, and because I've got a story about that, and um, it's it's very interesting because it, it tied in with you and the Templar Lodge. Um, basically, I was on um, on a, a ferry going to Le Mans with an with an ex girlfriend, and um, when we was on this ferry, there was a, a an elderly lady there, and I said to my partner at the time, I said, I've got to go and talk to that lady, and she said, Oh. <laughs> You know, do you have to? And I said, yeah, I've got to. And I went over and started talking to her. And then we started talking about things. And I said, oh, I'm interested in Dr. John D, Elizabethan astrologer. And she said, oh, uh, that's funny. She said, because my son is studying him at the moment, right? I said, no. She said, yes, he is. She said, I'll introduce you. So she introduced me to him. And uh, when I met him, he gave me a book called The Holy Blood and Holy Grail, which is quite uh, a well-known book. And um, he said, oh, you want to read it? So I don't read books, and I only take what I need from any book. I never read a book. But anyway, so I get the Holy Blood and Holy Grail, and, uh, and I gave it back to him after six months. And he told me that uh, he had links to Ghislaine, right, which is the Templar Lodge. So that was interesting. Anyway, so I carried on the journey over to France. And um, I went into a bookshop called Liafonor, which is the alchemist's furnace. That's what it means in French. And um, when I went in there, I took with me um, another copy of the Holy Blood and Holy Grail because I ended up getting three copies in the end. And uh, I was trying to find uh, information about a guy called Jean-Baptiste Pitois, who was, um, he was an interesting character. He wrote the Histoire de la Magie from 1870. And it, the strange thing, strangest thing in the world happened is when I was in this bookshop, I got talking to the guy in the bookshop and he went out to the back store 
and he brought out an original copy from 1870 of the Histoire de la Magie. My girlfriend at the time, her name was Pitois, the same as uh, Jean-Baptiste Pitois. And uh, he, he pointed up to um, a print on the wall and he said, look at that. And I looked at it and it was um, a picture of an alchemist and it was from that book, The Histoire de la Magie. And he'd had it on his wall for two years. So this is how I got to uh, find out about the Templar Lodge and Ghislaine. It's wow. incredible. Yeah. Billions yeah, of that's it, it was a fulcrum uh, of modern alchemy, shall we say, uh, in many ways, because I, 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 I did a bit of speaking there and... You know, I was I was party to Bob Bryden, uh, Knights yeah. Templar historian in Scotland. His great uh, lecture there on Templar properties, and another another historian that I greatly admired was was Bob, and then Stephen Pryor. Um, yes, I Stephen, used to, yeah. I was I was a, I was a stonemason and, and sculptor, work basically working on the tools, and I often used to. He used to let me stay there for free, and yeah. I'd do him a sculpture or something like that, a Templar yeah. sculpture, and absolutely fascinating forum. And yeah. you've got Andrew Sinclair, you've got Ian Sinclair, you've got Bob Bryden, you've got not Henry Lincoln, but uh, other big Templar writers oh, yeah, that had gone sure. there. Yeah. And, you know, the it was the pinnacle, really, of temporary exploration, but it went a bit further than that. And, you know, obviously when Stephen Pryor Sinclair died, it, it all collapsed. But yeah. they got into some really mi mis mystical uh, exploration. And all, did, all yeah. good stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. it was actually there that I found out about the... It was a Campbell Knights Hospitaller that Christian, but in a in the shall we say the uh, the Celtic type of Christian, almost as if it had a link to the Coldies. And this guy was bringing in the 1500s was bringing back precious stones from the Middle East. Wow. And it, the, these stones were being used to cure cattle, cure people. They used to let them soak in water. And, you know, they, they, they have the evidence for this. And, and this was because this guy was interacting with, uh, you know, Islamic knights and had a great range of, of contacts. Mm. And... Oddly enough, that's got to be some form of alchemy, uh, which sure, is what yeah. I was thinking about today, Gary. But fabulous that you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I spent a fair bit of time with Stephen Pryor and I really enjoyed his company. Um, you know, and I, I got to meet his, uh, his partner or his wife and, and he had a beautiful uh, child. She was about four when I, I know. So she's probably a beautiful young lady. Now I've no idea. I haven't, I haven't, uh, had any contact but uh, yeah it was very sad when I heard that he died because I, I think that they had they had the basis of uh, something really really good there 
And you said about that, didn't you? Yeah, we were talking about because um, when we went, we uh, we went to a, a conference. And there was quite a few different authors and things there. And um, he was kind of starting the basics of podcasting was, uh, yeah. and doing sort of live broadcast of conferences. And I think, um, sadly, I think it was just a little bit too early for it to catch on at the time. Mm. But it was a brilliant idea and a brilliant mm. forum. But it does show you, Sean, though, how mystical life is. I mean, the fact is you're sitting here now talking to us and my journey with that was uh, was some sort of uh, 20 odd years ago before I went to Ghislaine and before I met uh, Stephen Pryor. And then I, I found out about yourself having a connection to it. It's amazing synchronicity, isn't it? It absolutely unbelievable and phenomenal. It was the same for, for me when I got the call to go to South America. I mean, I met... Uh, uh, another artist in Cumbria and I was kind of thinking what what's going to be my next move you know I mean immersed in creativity I'd had some reasonable commissions and I just didn't know what was going to happen next you know mm -hmm. and suddenly I get the opportunity to go and live on an island in Chile wow well, of course you know I booked my ticket before I'd even thought about it you know what I mean and I, I lived over there for six months and did some incredible exploration, uh, actually in a rowing boat, because the area I was in was steeped in uh, the history of the Templars and their, you know, their travels in Chiloe, which is halfway down the length of Chile itself. And as a result of that, it uh, in a way connected because in South America they they love Britain you know and particularly mm. Scotland and of course I've got links up here anyway and I thought hmm I I feel a, a book coming on here and uh -huh. um, I that whole situation enabled Questus to you know to to live and of course when I met the filmmaker and. Uh, media developer uh, Nathan Newman. Okay. We should try and get Nathan on sometime because oh, he's yeah. a great guy. Yeah, indeed, yeah, sure. we'll have to have both on again. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's we're developing uh, a video game from the book and possibly a film. But at the moment, we've we've got uh, a small trailer. But you know, it's it's moving. We've only kind of release Questus in early October and it's uh, it's it's steaming away you know brilliant yeah brilliant yeah can you tell us a bit more about it Sean yeah well i mean it's it it combines m many of the legends of the templars and what they were about it goes into some a bit of a bleak history about them as well and their excavation of other ancient buildings you know uh, you probably know that the templars were responsible for uh, the great flowering of gothic architecture in europe mm. um mm. probably because they they learned about building techniques whilst they were in the middle middle east there's a a big link to the middle east with our own cathedrals in how architecturally they 
they were developed. But it brings some of that into play. But it also, it, it's, a, it's a strange, no, I wouldn't say it's a strange book. It's a book that from the reviews that we're getting at the moment, it, it's an inner journey. And through that inner journey, through the myth-reality uh, scenario, people are able to get a deeper grasp of what's happening in the world. So it's like an awakening tool. Mm -hmm. and But there's some interesting facts in the book as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah there's more facts in it, but it, a lot of it is disguised as fiction. And yeah. it, uh, it, it moves in a way that is, in a way, in a biblical sense, it's got like a, the words convey spirit in some way that um, I'm, I'm not completely aware of at the moment, but it's, so uh, it's, it's, it's a bit yeah. like, sorry, Sean, it's a bit like the Gnostics then, because, you know, all that was kind of moving through words and text, allegories, um, finding that divine wisdom within that text, yeah. leading you on a journey. Again, a bit like going back to alchemy, like the alchemist, because um, within alchemy, a lot of it was allegory, and that was all about, you know, a path from lead to gold, from the base metal to gold, mm. the purer form of gold. And it's about spiritual enlightenment. And, uh, isn't it? and philosophical Freemasonry, you know, the polishing of the ashla. You know, that's the whole point mm. at the end of the day, isn't it? Affecting your soul, isn't it? You know. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really good way of putting it in actual fact. It's, uh, it's not an easy process to describe i think is which is why people write about it in a fantastic way and it's it's through the myth that you get the fact and mm. you know we look into the nature of human consciousness and our in a way responsibility on 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 the uh, on the planet and where it's all going we, we seem to be arriving at, I'm, I'm coming back to this again I, I guess but uh you know what's where are we going with humanity what's going to happen to the planet there's there's got to be an involvement now in right. in a way i i i don't want to see it go down a technical media not technical digital style way mm. i want us to get back to the old skills that have been lost you know and telepathy sixth and seventh sense mm. um a, a greater knowing of god shall we say and absolutely, absolutely. yeah I mean, I think well, that's the thing, John, you know, is, is that people have to understand that that sublime intelligence that runs throughout nature, that's what God is. You know, they seem to miss the point, don't they? It's in every living thing, isn't it? You know, whether absolutely. you're gay, straight, whatever you are, it does not make no difference. You're all part of this enormously beautiful creation uh, that's in the planet, the nature, the trees, absolutely everything. It's all part of God, isn't it? It's wonderful, you know. Yeah, and of course, that's the thing. And that's why we so feel so good on a summer's day out in the open with, you know, with nothing. Maybe a sandwich, maybe yeah. by the sea. 
And I remember, you know, my mum taking me and my brother to Morecambe Beach. And we're out there all the time. We're out there six for six weeks in the sun and every day and swimming in the sea as as as, as youngsters. And mm. it's it was a fantastic life. And that seems now to that kind of existence. It seems like people are forgetting about it, you know. Oh, absolutely. You know, with the artificial yeah. intelligence, it's an absolute disaster, isn't it? You know, I mean, people are saying, you know, thinking, oh, it's good to be, have a chip put in your head or a chip put in your hand, and that's that's the way forward in a mobile phone. The only chips I like are on a plate, salt <laughs> and vinegar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think so, sure. Well, I, I, I get exactly what you're saying, and I, I thought about that. But you know, the people who are advocating this, we, they should they should actually try it out for the rest of us, eh? And <laughs> it, could, it could actually be brought into Parliament. That'd be good, wouldn't it? You know, it would. yeah, we could some, just switch uh... them all off if we want. If we don't like it with a remote control, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely, and. The, the alchemy bit, I, I must tell you, uh, I don't know how long we've got left, but the uh, the alchemist Michael Scott was a guy that was reputed to have, in medieval times, lived till he was 120. And he was responsible. He was actually the teacher and corrector of the great Fibonacci, which, of no, course... Actually written about intensely in the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. And Michael Scott was the wizard that was in charge of uh, alchemy for Frederick II of Italy, who was involved with the Templars as well. And he also translated great amounts of text from Hebrew and Arabic into Latin, um, which eventually became into into the English language. And he was probably the greatest of all time of alch alchemists. And on there's a place on the coast of Cumbria, which is the Sturtian House. It's not a monastery, but it's like an abbey. Home, home Culturum, it's called. And he's supposed to be buried there, Michael Scott. Wow. And... You know the legends of uh, the Templars at Bannockburn? Yeah. Well, oddly enough, also buried there is uh, the father of Robert the Bruce, the Earl of Carrick. And yeah. he's buried under a Templar-type tombstone as well. So what I'm saying is that I believe that there was a school of thought within the Templars about the true nature of the world and humanity. And I believe that the symbols that I've found on the tombstones, which go back to the Temple of Solomon, are from an older school that the establishment has tried to erase from history. And all that's left now, yes, there is there are some historical writings, but moreover, there are many more symbols that I've been party to excavating. And I guess that's my part in what Gary was talking about 
before in terms of of alchemy but you know that can work side by side i think with spiritual value christian or otherwise and mm -hmm. it's it's a great thing to go back to that medieval platform of the templars it's like all roads lead to them eh? and yeah that's why people were busted in them it's not just because they were good they were brilliant fighters. It was because of their philosophical mm. nature of their raison d'etre, shall we say. Well, exactly. So that's a, so, great, uh, that's a great thing that people misunderstand. I, I mean, I was told many times through through my gifts and that that uh, all roads lead to France. And if you see the, the Templars in France and all the wonderful things over there, it's astonishing, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. You know? Funnily Absolutely. enough, Sean... Funnily enough, Sean, today I went grocery shopping. How exciting. And uh, I could have done with you carrying them, actually. <laughs> but I was uh, walking past in, in the grocery store. They have um, kind of a charity bookshelf where, where people put their old unwanted books and then people just pick them up and give a donation to a charity. And as I was walking past the bookshelf today, a blue book caught my eye and I looked and I stopped and I picked it up and it was actually a book in French about, and it was a guide to all the um, Templar sites in France. How amazing. It's yeah, written in French. Amazing. Yeah, but amazing I just thought how amazing yeah. it was considering that you were coming on this evening <laughs> to us this yeah, evening. Well, during the day to right? Synchronicity, as they say. Yeah, for it sure. Synchronicity, yeah. It's amazing. Sean, I, I can tell you that... Uh, uh, we have some amazing adventures ahead of us. I know it, and uh, and I also know that uh, the 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 whole consciousness of the planet is is changing. People are heading towards the truth now. They're not going to tolerate all the nonsense and the rubbish and the and the books of lies and lies and lies. They're not going to tolerate it anymore. The lies of the media. It's not happening. It's going to it's going to soon end. So I'm looking forward to that day. Really am. Yeah, well, I mean, you've done some great work, of course, both of you, to, uh, you know, keep the torch of enlightenment burning in these dark times and uh, others as well. And, uh, you know, we've got a great group in the making here and it'd be lovely to expand it to more people formally, you know. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, if the basis of their if the basis of their thing is truth, then they're then they're welcome aboard. Yeah, the common you know, goal is to the help common goal each other. To help mankind, isn't yeah. it? To spread the truth Absolutely. and to understand what the truth is all about. As I say, Sean, it's not your truth or my truth, it's the truth. That's what it is. Absolutely. That's it. That's the way to Yeah, that's a, a good way to uh put it in in its place definitely yeah yeah definitely so with your book um i'm really interested as well because i i did actually watch a little video um the other day which was really interesting um and you were talking mm -hmm. about your book questus that's right and um I think it was Nathan. He was actually holding up a Templar um sword, sword that you yeah. carved from stone which was absolutely amazing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was the idea based on the sword and the stone, and we decided we're going to make more in the future as well. Uh, actual illustrations, three dimensional illustrations, and I carved a, uh, a sword, a te Templar sword, 
uh, in stone or slate, which is, you know, the it's a volcanic type of stone. Mm -hmm. But I actually copied the the sword itself from one a tombstone where what the, it had been carved into the surface of the tombstone at the Temple Ballantrock. And it was a friend of mine, another stonemason in Scotland called one of the best called uh, Shug Douglas. And a, weirdly, a, a Douglas clan guy, you know. And he, he sent me a picture of it and I replicated that in 3D uh, with the addition of uh, creating the name of God in Hebrew on the hilt. And that's the writing on the, sorry, not on the hilt, the cross guard mm -hmm. with the Templar cross in the circle itself. But that, that sword has an immense energy. And on some of the videos that we're working with at the moment with Nathan and the, uh, the, the uh, film, mm -hmm. then the, the guy that's playing the main character, An Angus McWilliam, he's actually using the sword as if it was a real sword. Wow. <laughs> Excuse me. And it's remarkably similar to the weight. So how that occurred, I don't know. But mm. there's an elevated energy about that whole composition with mm. this guy, the actor. Uh, at, it, it looks like a, a Stonehenge-type site, but in the book it's... Uh, above Loch Eriobol, which is called the wheelhouse. And this is where megalithic peoples... Uh, now, listen to this. It, this blew my mind. Went high above Loch Eriobol in the north of Scotland, and there they would plot out the trajectory of the moon. Mm -hmm. I mean, very, very complex astronomical procedure and then i was in this conversation with the megalithic version of events they were talking about that this could have been that and this other guy turned up and said actually this is to do with british the british israelites shall we say this is what the lost tribes of israel they created these sites complex sites of standing stones so that they could plot on, you know, when they left the Middle East, so that they could plot out, plot out their sacred days in context to witnessing the trajectory of the moon. So, for instance, the Feast of the Passover, the Diaspora of Jews or Hebrews uh, was their name. And I thought that is absolutely fascinating. And... You know, the Scots are very different. The original Scots are very different from the English. You know, they've got a peculiar martial law of inheritance of being able to, you know, fight anywhere, and particularly the English, who were insurmountable in medieval times. But look what, look what Robert the Bruce did at Bannockburn and undermanned. There's something in them that from an ancient, a deeper ancient connection. And it's, you know, it's incredible when you start seeing arrangements of stones and their alignment to 
uh, to astronomy. I mean, oh, absolutely. For sure. That's a whole new show, actually. It certainly yeah. is, because we, we then go on to the Druids and the ancient Egyptians, because oh, I know yeah. they were very much into, um, you know, star alignments and things. I mean, you only need to look at the um, Dendera Temple, the Zodiac there, to see that. Yeah. So ancient people, that, that was their life. You know, everything basically hinged upon what was going up in the skies. It's written in the stars, Sean. It's written in the stars. It is indeed. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to have to be winding up in a minute, Sean, but it's been an absolute uh, fascinating conversation with you. Well, just to finish, Sean, as well, um, so with your book, Questus, where can people actually go to um, find more information and maybe buy it if they're interested in buying it as well? Yeah, we, you could go to there's the website where the vid, you saw the video, Shona, on uh, seanwilliamson.com. Sean S-H-A-W-N-Williamson.com. Or uh -huh. it's actually on Amazon under Questus. Right. Lovely. Thank okay, you very much, so Sean. that should be nice and easy to find then. But I wish you all the very yeah. best with it, Sean. I think it's a wonderful thing, and I really hope to see this film coming yeah. shortly as well. I know films do take quite a long time in the making, don't they? There's a lot that, that has to go into it, but I'm really excited for you with this. Yeah, excited for you, Sean. You're a top man, and uh, it's been wonderful talking to you. Yeah, and nice to be on the same team as you guys. It's been great, eh? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Take care. Sean, you take care. Lots of love to you both. Bye. Bye-bye. Be bye. careful in that storm as well. Yeah. I will. You take care. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, um, finishing off then, darling. Um, we'll say thank you for joining the Allens Investigate yep. with me, Shona Allen and Gary Allen, the Cockney Bard. And we are broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 FM from the beautiful city of New Orleans. You can also check us out on the Allens Investigate, which is www.theallensinvestigate.com. Cheers, everybody, and Bye. thank you for listening.